Hey everyone, I'm Dominique. And I'm Heidi. Welcome to More Grats. We're glad you decided to waste some time with us. First, we want to say thanks to Sarah H. Um, she was so kind to uh, send us a little message on our Instagram and tell us that she really enjoyed the last episode, even though it made her cry. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. We love that kind of stuff. But anyway, thank you, Sarah H. That was, we appreciate you. And we want to say congratulations to our super fan, Alex, and his wife, Natasha, who welcomed a baby girl this morning. Yeah. And we are extremely happy for them. They have been, that's been years in the making and mm-hmm. trials and tribulations. And um, we welcome this rainbow baby with loving arms. Yes. Congratulations, Alex and Natasha. Um, I want to know, did anybody... Google gooey duck. <laughs> uh, mom and dad did. <laughs> I can hear dad cackling now. Yeah. Now. Yeah. For yes. sure. Oh my God. Jeez. So, well, Dee, you have been really busy these last few weeks. Yes. And you've been busy right along there with me helping. So, yep. 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 So, why don't you tell everyone what you've been up to? Well, you know that we recently retired from the funeral business and um, now the next phase is selling our beloved beloved family home which is kind of bittersweet I mean we it's it's tough but uh, things change and we're ready to move on and um, but oh my god it is hard work yeah well you have 50 years of all of our families accumulation of oh where am I gonna put that oh just put it at the funeral home right yep we had all the room I mean the house is huge the place is huge so if anybody needed to store stuff well that's where it went and now we're going through it and it is a chore yeah oh my gosh oh and by the way since we're talking about funeral homes (laughs) if anybody wants to buy an old funeral home Slip into our DMs. Is it slip in or slide in? I don't know. We're too old to be saying that anyway. Yeah, really. <laughs> slip, slide, I don't care. Just do it. Yeah, just get, just get there. <laughs> All right. But before we start, we want to remind you we are talking about death. If you are easily offended by rude humor or foul language or are particularly sensitive to discussions about death, you may want to pass on this podcast. We are wildly inappropriate at times, but that comes directly from growing up in a funeral home. The way we insulate ourselves is by humor, and for us, it's a lot better to laugh, even when you feel like crying. Okay, so this episode is kind of like a public service announcement. Yes, it really is. Don't walk on train tracks, people. Yeah, that's a really bad idea. You know, people think walking on train tracks is perfectly safe. They think, geez, the train is so loud, I'll hear it coming and I'll just step aside. Well, that's not how it happens a lot of the time. Don't get us wrong, trains are loud, very loud. The problem is, noise from the train does not project forward, it comes from the side. Exactly. Next time you see a train, pay attention to when you hear the noise. Usually, that roar comes right when you get alongside the train. Many times, you don't even hear it approaching, especially if there's a strong wind blowing, which happens a lot where we live. We also live in an area where timber is a major industry, and it's a dangerous one. In fact, logging is consistently ranked among the top five most dangerous jobs in the United States. 
Lots of accidents can happen when you're dealing with huge trees and all the equipment it takes to get them from one place to another. Yeah, but it might surprise people to know that during our decades long career in the funeral business, we have dealt with more deaths by train than by tree. That is so weird. Especially when you consider we have more loggers per capita than lots of other towns. You think you'd have way more cases with loggers than people getting hit by trains. Well, you would think, but you'd be wrong. <laughs> Do you remember there was this trend going on for a while where people were getting pictures taken on the railroad tracks? Do you remember that? Yeah, especially like senior photos. Mm -hmm. and yep, 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 yep. Well, I always cringed when I saw that. Well, that's probably isn't the smartest thing to do, but I will say that at least in that situation, there was a photographer looking one direction and the subject looking the other, so they were a little bit safer. Yeah, it's still a bad idea though. Trains move fast, and even when you see them coming, it can be difficult to move out of the way and get to a safe place. Plus, it takes a long time for them to stop. Right, agreed. Well, just don't do it, people. Well, if you haven't figured out by now, in this episode, we are going to talk about death by train. And our funeral home story tells of the time the undertaker explained crows on the tracks to his children. This episode will be a little gruesome and graphic with references to suicide. Please skip if that makes you feel uncomfortable. As always, listener discretion is advised. That said, welcome to episode 30, Train... Train Train wreck! <laughs> That said, welcome to episode 30, Train Wreck. Wasn't our best, but it'll have to do. Well, because I was getting ready for this. Oh, hey, Dominique. What? <laughs> Did you hear about the Mexican hijacker? They said he had locomotives. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay, that's one down then, right? One down. <laughs> With more to come, I promise. Oh, so what happens when a train strikes a human body? Let's talk about it. Well, the effects are devastating. The comparative frailty of flesh, blood, and bones are no match for the sheer mass and energy of a moving train. At best, you suffer a massive blow that just throws you from the tracks and your body is left mostly intact. But your insides are basically like jello. Oh, that's right. At worst, your body pretty much explodes with the impact. Bits of fat and tissue spray for yards, limbs are ripped away. It's very gruesome. In the unfortunate situations where an individual chooses to lay down on the tracks, sometimes there is very little blood and you can look perfectly normal once the undertaker sews you back together. <laughs> well, as long as there have been trains, there have been train wrecks. Let's talk about some of the worst, shall we? Ooh, definitely. Okay. Let's start with the Hammond Circus train wreck. Early in the morning of June 22nd, 1918, about 400 members of the Hagenbeck... I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on members. <laughs> <laughs> you pause, not me. You're <laughs> so immature, my God. All right. Early in the morning of June 22nd, 1918, about 400 members of the Hagenbeck Wallace Circus were traveling by rail through Indiana. These train cars were old school, so they were made of wood and used oil lamps for light. 
A separate train carrying the circus animals had left earlier, but the train carrying the circus workers and performers had stayed back near the town of Hammond, Indiana, so a mechanical issue could be addressed. Meanwhile, a third train was heading down the same tracks. The engineer was aware of the slower moving locomotive ahead, but with the combination of exhaustion, medication, and the gentle rocking of the train, he fell asleep. There were warning signs put in place, but the engineer missed them because he was sawing logs. His train plowed into the back of the circus performer's train and almost immediately, the oil from the lamps spilled out and ignited the old wooden cars. Soon, the wreckage became a raging inferno. 86 people died, most of them from the collision. The ones who didn't die on impact burned to death in the fire. Their bodies were so badly charred, identification was nearly impossible. Well, being carnies and all, maybe none of them had a full set of teeth. know the dental records at all. Oh my god. Well, at Woodlawn Cemetery in Forest Park, Illinois, there is a plot of land where most of the victims are buried. This area is known as Showman's Rest and is encircled by statues of elephants with their trunks lowered, which is a mourning posture. Only five of the victims were ever identified. Well, because they had teeth? That's horrible. So most of the graves are marked unknown male or unknown female. Well, okay, here's a sad one. In September of this year, a family piled into their SUV and headed to a quinceanera, which is an elaborate party in honor of a girl's 15th birthday. The tradition has roots in Mexico and is a very big deal. It symbolizes a girl's transition from girlhood to womanhood and is similar to debutante balls popular in the southern areas of the United States. The family was traveling on a road that doesn't have a lot of traffic, so the train tracks were only marked by a stop sign and a railroad crossing sign. There were no arms that came down to stop the cars, nor were there any red flashing lights to signal that a train was coming. The SUV did not stop completely, but it just did like a slow crawl over the tracks. The engineer saw the vehicle and blared the horn, and another car, which had been pulled over to the side of the road, tried to alert the SUV with their horn, but to no avail. The train, which was going 55 miles per hour, crashed into the side of the SUV, flipping it several times before it came to rest quite a distance from the crossing. The SUV looked like a soda can that had been stomped on. Five people were ejected violently from the vehicle and died on scene from devastating injuries. Two people were rushed to the hospital, but one didn't make it through the night. One survivor suffered a brain bleed, bruised lung, and a ruptured kidney, and though in critical condition, was expected to survive. In all, six people died, including three children. Horrible. Whole family wiped out just like that. Bet that put a damper on the party. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this next train wreck wasn't caused by derailment or collision, but it's worth mentioning because it has the highest body count in all of railroad history. And when I say high body count, I mean over 1,700 people. 1,700? That's almost our, our entire town. Yeah. Jeez. Yep. Well, this happened in Sri Lanka in December of 2004 and was just another tragedy caused by the Indian Ocean tsunami. The train, called the Queen of the Sea, was rolling along its coastal route when it was hit by two waves. Eight overpacked cars were submerged by unthinkable amounts of water, leaving the passengers with nowhere to go. God, that's terrifying. 
do you want another sad one and another reminder not to walk on railroad tracks? Of course I do. Okay. Two 16-year-old boys were walking on some tracks in Arkansas. They were near a park, and it was a nice spring day, so they were probably just shooting the shit, not thinking anything bad was going to happen. But guess what? Something bad did happen. The boys saw an, an oncoming Union Pacific train approaching on the southbound tracks, so they moved out of the way. The problem was they stepped over to the northbound tracks and there was a train heading that way too. Police found one body by the side of the tracks and the other under the train. That is so tragic. But you know what else is tragic? There are certain people who get forgotten when there's a train versus person incident. And that person is the engineer. Yeah, that's true. So many people focus on the person who was hit, but the one who hits them hardly gets a mention, which is unfair because they are just as devastated by the event. One engineer shared his story. For Mike, becoming an engineer was a childhood dream. When he finally, finally realized this dream and accepted a job with the railroad, he was told right off the bat he would probably witness at least one pedestrian fatality in his career. Unfortunately, he witnessed two. The first happened when his train hit a man who was walking on the tracks in the pitch blackness of night. Though this was distressing, Mike was able to recover from this trauma and return to work. Maybe it was because he was newer in his career, or maybe it was because it was dark and, you know, kind of shielded him from the carnage. But whatever the reason, Mike continued to drive locomotives. The second incident proved to be career ending. Mike and his conductor were having a great time watching the countryside pass by as they hauled empty coal cars through the Midwest. Then a man jumped out from behind some bushes and threw himself right in front of the train. Mike could only watch helplessly as this horror unfolded before his very eyes. Mike did not see the aftermath or the dead body, but his colleague did and found what remained of the man 15 cars back. Mike could not come to grips with this death. He said, it's like living in a shadow, always there. He has flashbacks and remains haunted by the incident. Now diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, Mike can no longer work and his childhood dream has ended in a nightmare. Even though he knows there was nothing he could have done to save either of those men, he can't get away from the fact that he killed them. And he didn't, but how can you, right. you know? I mean, you still feel that way. It's terrible because can you, you can never get that vision out of your head. Yeah. I mean, it's like torture. Yeah, that's, that's terrible. So just stay away from the railroad tracks, okay, friends? Please, please. Yes. Oh, but <laughs> did you hear about the man who met a woman on the train tracks while he was walking to the bar and they had just tons of sex? Ooh. Yeah, well, when he got to the bar, of course, he starts bragging about all the great sex and multiple positions and yada, yada, yada. And the guy he was talking to said, well, was she good looking? And he goes, well... I don't know. I never found her head. <laughs> That's so gross. That's so gross. <laughs> but funny. But funny. Gross but funny. <laughs> well, are you ready for our funeral home story? You know I am. Okay. The undertaker glanced in his rearview mirror. His children were creatures of habit, always sitting in the same seats when traveling in the family sedan. Dominique, the oldest, chose the seat directly behind the undertaker's wife, while Heidi, the youngest, always sat behind him. Their brother, Chris, sat in the middle, and it had nothing to do with birth order and everything to do with the fact that if he didn't have a direct line of sight through the windshield, he would barf all over the leather interior. 
Every few months, the family piled into the 76 Cadillac Seville and hit the road into the city for a visit with the grandparents. The visits themselves were always enjoyable, with the kids running straight from the car to the bird room where cages upon cages of canaries greeted them. The grandparents raised canaries and the undertaker's children made a beeline to the birds, deciding within minutes which ones they would take home. But the drive into the city proved treacherous, an hour-long journey full of, he's touching me, and the ever-present threat of Chris's car sickness reaching the point of vomiting. The undertaker returned his gaze to the long stretch of highway in front of him with its curves and tunnels. When he was alone, or if it was just his wife and him, the drive was quite nice. He could relax and enjoy the scenery with tall trees on one side of the road and the Columbia River on the other. Barge traffic on the river and trains passing on the tracks made the drive interesting. But with three kids in the car, the trip was less than serene. Hey, Dad, Heidi said, sitting straight in her seat and pointing over his shoulder. Look there, crows. He followed her finger and saw about two dozen blackbirds converged on the railroad tracks. That means something got hit by the train, right? Her voice sounded animated. Heidi, the undertaker's wife whipped around in her seat and scowled. Why would you say such a thing? That's what dad said. He said you always know when something died on the track because all the crows come to eat the pieces. The undertaker's wife stared at her husband. Before she could reprimand him, he said, it's nature. It's disgusting. You don't need to tell them that. The undertaker drew a deep breath. They see dead people all the time. You want to shelter them from roadkill? She crossed her arms over her stomach. That's different. It's still death. Yeah, said Heidi. Everything dies, and it's good when animals can feed other animals when they die. It's called a life cycle, Mom. Dominique leaned toward the center of the car and poked her head between the front seats. Dad, when a person is hit by a train, did the crows eat those pieces too? Dominique, the undertaker's wife nearly screamed. Don't talk like that. Like what? The undertaker's wife shook her head as if trying to get rid of a bad thought. That's morbid. Don't talk about people getting hit by trains. Why not? asked Dominique. It happens, right, Dad? The undertaker splayed his fingers, then wrapped them tightly around the steering wheel. It happens all the time, he said. The undertaker's wife narrowed her eyes, warning him not to say another word. Instead, the undertaker cleared his throat and changed the subject. Hey, Chris, how are you doing back there? Chris stared straight ahead, but nodded he was okay. Dominique spoke again. Did you know that a group of three or more crows isn't called a flock like other birds? It's called a murder. How cool is that? Hey, Dominique. <laughs> right in the middle of the story? Yep. <laughs> We're doing it right now. Okay, what? Do you know what two crows are called? What? Attempted murder. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> the undertaker and his wife glanced sideways at each other. Their oldest daughter had always been weirdly fascinated with death, and they weren't sure if it was because she had been confronted by it for most of her life or if she was a serial killer in the making. They both hoped she would outgrow of she would grow out of the macabre curiosity. Spoiler alert, she doesn't. <laughs> the undertaker checked the time, 40 minutes until they reached the grandparents' house. How about some music, he said, and popped John Denver's greatest hits into the eight-track player. A few days and three canaries later, the undertaker felt certain his wife had forgiven him for telling the kids about the crows. She hadn't brought it up, and everything seemed peaceful in their chaotic and unpredictable lives. The family had just sat down at the dinner table when the funeral home phone rang. 
Since there was a business phone in the family's residence, right there on the wall between the kitchen and the dining room, the undertaker simply rose from his seat and answered. Usually the kids didn't pay attention, but the undertaker's wife's ears always perked up, gathering as much information as she could from a one-sided conversation. When he hung up, the undertaker returned to, his to the table and stood over his plate, taking a few more forkfuls of meatloaf before saying, I gotta go. Where? asked the undertaker's wife. Milepost 57. The undertaker looked up from his plate to see his three children staring at him. Dominique dipped a chunk of meatloaf into the lake of ketchup and lifted the red dripping hunk to her mouth. Car accident? she asked while chewing. The undertaker shook his head. Someone got hit by a train. Heidi dropped her fork. No way! We were just talking about this! The undertaker's wife gasped. Oh my god, that's horrible. The undertaker pointed at his kids. See? I told you it happens all the time. Don't play on the tracks. Don't even go near them. Chris piped up. Was someone playing on the tracks? I don't know, said the undertaker. All I know is someone got hit by a train and now they're dead. He turned to his wife. That is why I tell them about this stuff. You can't just expect kids to know about danger. She sighed. It just seems so wrong for them to hear it. When other kids see their parents off to work, they're going to the lumber mill or the grocery store. The undertaker grabbed his glass of water, gulped twice, then set it down. Well, babe, we don't work at the lumber mill or the grocery store. He wiped his mouth with a napkin, then went to grab his jacket from the hook when he heard his children chuckling and one of them mutter, Crow food. <laughs> The dead man meant to do it. He wasn't mindlessly walking down the tracks, not stopping to take pictures at the impressive river and all the colorful sails and kites playing out there. This was no accident, and the note in his pocket made that pretty clear. Officer Franco shook the undertaker's hand when he arrived at the tracks, then led him to the site. He's not from here, said Officer Franco. His driver's license says he's from Virginia. That's not surprising, said the undertaker. Many people who chose to end their lives seemed to end up in their area. Remote, with lots of thick forests, raging rivers, and sheer cliffs, there were lots of ways for people to check out without doing it in their own backyard. The undertaker sighed. Well, let me see what I'm up against, Officer Franco reassured. This one isn't very messy, not like the usual. As the men carefully walked over large rocks bordering the tracks, the undertaker could see a blue tarp covering a mound. He scanned the ground and the bushes looking for any body parts or ragged tissue he would have to collect. When they reached the tarp, Officer Franco peeled it back so the undertaker could assess the damage. There on the rails lie three sections of a human body, the legs severed at the knees on the south side of the tracks, the torso in the middle, and on the north side, a decapitated head. So. What, I'm guessing that puts him at about, what, 6'2"? Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> <laughs> the cuts were clean, almost surgical. Blood pooled under the body. There was no tissue, fat, or brain matter fanning for yards beyond the point of impact, as was normally the case. The undertaker remembered the last train versus human he had to respond to. A photographer trying to get the right shot stood in the center of the tracks, probably thinking he would hear an approaching train and be able to jump out of the way. Who knows if he ever saw the train, even at the last second, but since he was standing upright, the impact made his body explode like a water balloon. The undertaker had spent hours picking up the pieces, but obviously he couldn't get everything, and for days, the crows flocked to that section of the tracks. 
Officer Franco pointed to the west. He chose a perfect spot. The train came through that tunnel, and because of the bend, the engineer couldn't see him until he was right on top of him. The undertaker glanced around at the other officials mingling at the scene. How about the engineer? Is he still here? Oh, God, no, responded Franco. Poor guy had to go to the hospital. He's a wreck. They took him to the emergency room. EMTs think he had a heart attack. Franco whistled through his teeth. Can you blame him? What a horrible thing to see. Up close and personal, too. No kidding. So this guy from Virginia ended his own life and ruined someone else's? Don't imagine the engineer will ever get that vision out of his head. The undertaker glanced in his rearview mirror at his children sitting in their regular seats, Dominique on the right, Heidi on the left, and Chris right in the middle staring straight ahead. His wife held a party invitation in her hands, calculating the best way to get to the Joneses' new house. Turn right in about two miles. Their place is just off the highway. The undertaker nodded. Heidi rested her head on the window, gazing at a barge slugging up the river. Suddenly, she sat up and pointed. Hey, milepost 57. That's where you went the other day to get that guy who got hit by the train. The undertaker's wife looked at her husband, raising her eyebrows as if to question him on how far he would take this conversation. Dominique leaned over her brother for a better look. Can you see any blood? There's no blood. The undertaker's wife scolded. Someone rinses that away. Heidi, silent for a moment, asked. Where are all the crows? They should be having a feast right now. Dominique added. Maybe they've already eaten everything. The undertaker turned to his wife. Her eyebrows were still raised in that expression that clearly said, well, are you going to let this pass or am I going to be mad at you all over again? The undertaker splayed his fingers then wrapped them tightly around the steering wheel. Thoughts tumbled in his mind as he contemplated what to do. He could let this pass, but that was no fun. His wife would be mad, but she'd get over it. So he smirked and said, there won't be any crows at this one. The guy was laying on the tracks and the train cut his head and his legs clean off. No splatter, none at all. His wife's eyes and mouth opened in shock and she nudged him on the elbow. Stop it. He ignored her, grinned and said, and I did a really good job at picking up the pieces. As expected, his wife gave him the silent treatment for days. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not to laugh at this because this is such normal conversation in our house. Just normal family talk. Every, every drive, every drive, this was our conversation because dad always says every milepost has a story. Yep. And he'd tell us. Yes, he would. Yeah. So, I mean, there was a wreck at every, I mean, oh, year, so-and-so, so-and-so. Mm -hmm. So that's life. Yep. In and a, that's a saying in our house. Yep. Every milepost has a story. Yep. Yep. So, so yeah. Our childhood was better than your childhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Demented, uh, well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Remember, be kind. Any day above ground is a good one. And finally, keep, keep on breathing. <laughs>